welcome back to Almost Famous Minute, where we're discussing the 2000 Cameron Crowe film Almost Famous, one minute at a time. I'm Eric Nash from Feels Like Weezer. I'm Dave Forsyth from Rock and Roll High School Minute. And I'm Mike Josek from For Your Consideration and a podcast named Scooby-Doo. Oh, hey guys, how you, how you both doing? Not too shabby, yeah. not too shabby. Glad to uh, be here for my very first minute of Almost Famous Minute. And Dave is coming back as a co-host this time. I forget yep, what, what exactly you were before, whether co-host or guest or both. I've been both, Eric. It's uh, this it. podcast, and I have a long and storied history. Yeah. <laughs> I I've like two or three other. Yeah, I've like two or three other kind of re- repeat co-hosts <laughs> that, that really seem yeah, seem right. to dig this movie well enough that uh, are are up up for it. I really so that means your... Eric, you're you're still water. I'm <laughs> Dick, and then Mike is the roadie. I guess right? Is that what you're <laughs> oh, saying? Wow. No, no, Mike is like is like Bowie. We just just oh. from a couple minutes ago we saw Bowie in the hotel lobby. Right, he just passes He's through and by. scream, <laughs> scream and faint. Well, you saw Bowie's hair. Special guest, <laughs> yeah, right. And and I actually I'm the I'm the cosplay guy. <laughs> cosplay before cosplay, the guy guy that dresses up like uh, Ziggy or Aladdin Sand or whoever that was. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, uh, throwing throwing glitter. She saw online there was uh there's some company called like uh stereo socks or something they've got these fantastic ziggy star or aladdin sane socks i should inv- uh, oh man i should investigate yeah more rock and roll type socks because i, I have been on a <laughs> on a binge lately getting some uh some uh, you know star wars was what started it and then marvel late lately marvel and dc it was one of those random ads that just showed up and I was like, I want to click on this to see more, but I don't want to get more random ads. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> but they okay. did look super cool. You just have to jot down the, whatever that company name is and Google it separately. Yes, exactly. While, exactly. while in, incognito or something. <laughs> should see what their podcast advertising budget is, Eric. <laughs> hey, now there you go. Yeah. I already, I already got my own merch, but there's no socks there yet, but at, uh, at a good old uh, T Public. <laughs> I got got the the store there for for this show and feels like Weezer and just even a couple of general non non show related t shirts and we can get the face mask too in this good old age of COVID. I can't think of any podcast that has socks as merch, yeah, so that's a right. totally untapped market, yeah. man. I <laughs> got <laughs> okay, have to talk with the big wigs over there, Depot. <laughs> get socks in like like the yellow legal notepad pattern. Yeah, right. Yeah. And this is minute 74 this week, and it starts with a pre-concert Stillwater huddle and ends with Jeff singing and playing keyboard. And they actually had this uh, song once before. They, they they did the huddle once before earlier in the movie, and uh, and the, and at least most of, I think, of the same song, this song and pong that we heard at the end of last minute. And they're continuing on with this uh, piggyback ride. Yeah, I'm sure you guys talked about it in the last minute, but for my edification, what is this song? Do we know? Well, yeah, as far as I could tell back the first time they did it, you know, half an hour ago, you know, uh, quite a few months ago, actually, at this point, oh, for yeah, me, right. I believe. Yeah. Um, uh, song and Pong is, is the best way to find it, really. I mean, you can certainly find it also through the lyrics, you know, get on my back for a piggyback ride, but... Uh, yeah, it's, and, it, and it's and it's. I mean, most of the references are only coming right back to this. I mean, there's yeah, like yeah. there's like just not much else. You know, it's very 
you know, just just where exactly Cameron Crow? I would love to get that from out of him at some point in the future. Yeah, I, I one thing I read was that that may have actually happened to him at a Pearl Jam concert mm, like mm-hmm. the pearl jam the band has like a huddle like that i don't yeah. know if they sing this song or not but um and he got pulled into it so it was you know obviously much closer to the filming of this movie than it was to the yeah. era yeah. we're referencing but yeah that is the one band besides the uh the four five six and seven that I, i've been collecting many many bands now the one band that's the most out of place for people, some at least one person somewhere along the lines I saw in like an article or another podcast or something saying, well, I think one of the inspirations for the band Stillwater was Pearl Jam. Well, if it's just for this huddle and singing of this song, then okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> the DNA of many bands. <laughs> it's not a key part of the band and what, what why, why Cameron Crowe is making the story and how he came to do this in 73 way before <laughs> i mean probably about the time most of those guys were being born yeah i mean if you think about the relationship he would have had with pearl jim it when he was following them around and writing about them and uh, he made a movie about them too right didn't he do oh yeah he did, yeah for their yeah, yeah. anniversary for, yeah that's right the pj20 or whatever it was yeah um but uh their relationships would have been totally reversed because he would have been yeah, well, right. by then they were a very experienced band too. But yeah, I mean, he would have been like the older, more experienced person where they were a little bit younger. But yeah, that's, yeah. Anyway, neither here nor there. <laughs> One thing I really dig about this scene is the fact that it's kind of like a, it's kind of a stolen moment because uh, Cameron mentions in the commentary that they only had time for one shot because the whole, the whole crowd was sitting outside in the... Yeah in the auditorium i sure wonder so they had that. one go at it and yeah because uh, it's a single cut from from the, the subtle happening and this little back and forth between russell and uh william then it follows russell right out it's kind of a testament to like yeah how fully these these actors inhabit these characters because they just they just do it and it's it's so natural and you know seeing russell still kind of freaked out by the conversation with uh, mom yeah and uh everybody's kind of got their own little internal world kind of going on and they're also interacting with each other and yeah i I, that's one thing i did like about it seeing russell he's clearly carrying that freaked outness over uh into this huddle you can see it on his face the whole time and then i can i'm sorry what's the drummer's name i can never remember Uh, silent ed is what i like yeah well because clearly he's silent ed because he doesn't sing along with the with the little chant like he's just sitting there grinning but he doesn't sing Mm -hmm. you know it's it's so everybody is sort of playing their their parts you know you got dick really amping up the band and and jeff is sort of being uh you know the loud voice in it and uh, yeah no it's 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 you're right it is a, a little microcosm of their their personalities going on here yeah, that's that's definitely uh, uh, the uh, uh, voice of uh, Jason Lee versus uh, his uh, uh, doppelganger, what have you, or <laughs> uh, fake fake voice, uh, singing voice that's used for the uh, the concert parts that will that we actually end up hearing at the very end of this minute, but we'll get there. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely his face, and that's something you know by doing this minute by minute. It's something I don't think I ever really caught on before because I mean. I just, you know, in, in the repeated watchings, just normally, you know, you know, I, I kind of know, I, I think I kind of knew that, okay, yeah, the line was supposed to come up here that Russell's, Russell's going to say, your mom kind of freaked me out, but I just would never, I don't, I just don't ever remember focusing on Russell and realizing he's still freaked out while, while doing that huddle. But then of course, watching it minute by minute, it's, it's, 
it's all I can focus on almost besides like you mentioned Ed <laughs> Ed not singing and how bad Dick's teeth are you get a good shot oh, of yeah. just really poor <laughs> dentistry I've also always appreciated how like after he says your mom freaked me out the, the immediate response is not you know don't let it bother you or she's like that he says she means well <laughs> And I love how she's not played as the villain. She almost has this like Jiminy Cricket quality. Mm-hmm, she's this mm-hmm. she's this conscience from afar. And uh, I mean, it's possible that Cameron didn't want to portray his mother as the villain <laughs> in the film, but it's well, well, especially when she was sitting there throughout most of the filming, apparently, supposedly. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, especially at least when Francis Francis McDormand was on set, there is a story there that uh, uh, they ended up talking to each other when when Cameron kind of didn't want them to, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like on on the first day or whatever whatever it was of, of when when uh, she had a scene, but which which supposedly it's also was filmed really you know almost totally in order, if not totally, as well, which is rather rather unusual for movies. But, um, yeah, so that would have been pretty much first day of filming then. Because it's, it's William and his mother. And that's that's why a lot of people forget about that part of the story, I think, when they talk about the movie and give a, give a plot, you know. But I keep I think I keep saying that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's this multi-layered, you know. There, yes, there is William as a, you know, young journalist trying to cover this rock band. But there's also this, the the interplay with the band-aids and of course specifically penny but then also the family issues stuff yeah i was sort of thinking about russell's reaction to 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 the real relationship between william and, and his real mother you know and uh <clears throat> you know as I, I was sort of thinking about that i was thinking back to actually i think the last set of minutes i was working on when when uh Russell leaves to go to uh, the Topeka party, right? In search of mm-hmm. authenticity and, and real people. And, you know, what he finds is just another batch of, you know, rock band worshiping party kids. Um, so when he actually does have this real experience with real people in their real relationship, it totally freaks him out, right? It's he, he, he stumbles into what he was looking for before and he has no idea what to do with it. It's kind of, you know, it freaks him out. He's easily freaked out <laughs> by many things. Yeah, true, true. Um, yeah, and and just uh, William's, uh, uh, you know, physical uh, movement uh, to to put his hand on on Russell's shoulder. I mean, he's he's kind of, you know, in this sense, he's kind of becoming the the father figure or what have you, the older brother, you know, trying kind of, you know, trying to do the, almost, almost doing the, 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 you know, the kind of somewhat normally TV trope of, 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 uh, role switching. I do think this is like another interesting notch in the um William and Russell personal relationship building right like the first third of the the movie where they're interacting it's it's very much William trying to to um 
to reach out to Russell and Russell very much keeping him at bay and, you know, making him know that he's the enemy. Even, even if he shows him a little bit, he'll, he'll go back to, to um, pushing him away. But slowly as they have these intense experiences um, together, their, their, their personal bond, you know, moves up the ladder a little bit. So it's, um, you know, another one sort of getting us to, to where we're going with those characters. So, uh, and the last little thing before 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 that transition, we've already t- I've already talked about definitely of going out onto the stage is that you know this this uh, this uh, side room or what have you. Uh, I mean, there's definitely like an amp in the background there and some like posters even on the little well, at least one little poster with this WMMS <laughs> mushroom. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it's just kind of, it's, it just seems like it's a pretty small room right there. Yeah. It's <laughs> a low uh, ceiling. It's not, not quite the green room. Yeah. Um, not quite backstage somewhere in between, you know, you know, venue that doesn't really have either of those. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, that's really indicative of kind of the signature subplot of, of the Stillwater story, Yeah, which is they were a mid-level band that had all of these mid-sized venues booked. And now their stuff is starting to sell and they're at that breaking point where they can draw the big crowds and there's heat around the band, but they're still in these not necessarily like um, exquisite is not the word I'm looking for, but like palatial, you know, green rooms and they're just, they're in basically, you know, adjoining rooms or closets or <laughs> whatever is is there for the band to use. Storage room for for the, for the uh, t-shirt blow up scene. <laughs> yeah, it's, it definitely seems like yeah, it's not. I mean, it it seems open to these other areas right outside it. You know, double door. You know, size doorways. You know, and where people, other people, not band related, could easily come through and get through pretty quick. <laughs> but, I think it's yeah. it's pretty well demonstrated that they're the headliners of of this show right like they're yeah. not opening for anyone anymore they're, yeah right they're... yeah i mean that the, the very first time we see them they're definitely the the either either a middle act or maybe opening act for uh black sabbath yeah and uh, we're, we're they're, they're definitely past that on this leg of the tour they, well, they right. it does seem like they have become the uh the main stars well that would sort of make sense too from some of the venues we've seen them in like they were in the the the, the, the bus scene where they're breaking down the gate i think yeah. they may have still been opening or middling for for yeah, somebody because be. that was a a yeah. much larger spot right and this is a a smaller club but this is their show right so i i sort of feel like that it's that evolution of who they're playing to and and you know dick's gonna say it in a minute that they're in um um Cleveland, right? So, um, Troy, Michigan to Cleveland is barely an out of town show, right? That's like yeah, right. just down the road. So, um, I mean, it's a couple hours, but like that's within the 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 vicinity of a, of a hometown touring band. So, this could even be sort of like a, a homecoming show where you go back to that place yeah. that you've you've played before as the the conquering hero, right? Like the the local band that went out on the road, got big, and then came back to 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 play to your adoring hometown fans almost so. well at the time i mean cleveland was a a great town to play like that's that's why there's that joke everybody's like good night cleveland like yeah, it's yeah, it was yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
it was a place where you could go and you could really get a good crowd and, and play some really killer shows. And it also feeds into uh, the, the greater kind of meta narrative that, that Crow's kind of uh, telling with this film where they're in Cleveland and this is a show where they're sort of, as I said, they're on that cusp of, of kind of breaking because the record is selling. And this is also uh, shortly after this, they introduce the Jimmy Fallon character, yeah. of course. Mm-hmm. And um, Cameron himself has said, you know, this was the moment that rock changed. And this was sort of his encapsulation of that in a couple of scenes with the, with the very intimate kind of live show. Uh, and then what's coming next is like, we want to expand. We want to, like, it's about money. It's about uh, capitalism meeting rock. Right. And, and so, um, and it's, it's kind of capped off with, with the, uh, with the Kate Hudson scene with the Penny Lane scene where she's alone with the roses on the floor and, or the, is it confetti on the floor or garbage? It might be garbage. (laughs) Um, But this, this, this whole sequence has always kind of held uh, some real narrative importance for me in the film. Every time I've watched it, it's always had kind of a, a real emotional lymph. One, because you get to see some of the great performance um, of the Stillwater songs. And like these guys really, you know, they look good playing their instruments. Like mm. they look like a band and they worked hard to get there. And I kind of applaud them for that. But um, yeah, again, there's, there's a lot going on on a lot of different levels and um this is, it's one of my favorite kind of points in the movie. Yeah. Hmm. I got to say, if we're transitioning into the, into the stage portion, that, that this moment with Dick is probably yeah. the, the, it's beautiful, honestly. Like the, the you know, he, he, they show him grabbing that SM58, that mic and just bellowing into it to, to get, all the enthusiasm he wants the band to have that he wants the crowd to have out into the into the room he's just bellowing it out and then as soon as he's done he's just wiped out man he like runs his hand through his hair puts the cigarette in his mouth and he's like oh boy i it i sort of imagining this is being like this is the middle of dick's work day like he's on lunch break now like that that yelling into the microphone is him signifying halfway through his day because he's done everything to wrangle the band get them up and 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 going and he gets them out on the stage with a jolt and now he can sort of take a break if you know assuming that no one gets electrocuted or anything during the show (laughs) while the band's out there doing their doing their thing and he's just wiped out man like he's he's been working his ass off and this is like a small little thing, but it's really endearing to the character of Dick who otherwise is, you know, can, you can sort of sometimes take him as an asshole or, or, um, you know, just sort of a, a bumbling, uh, you know, friend of the band who got in yeah. over his head kind of, kind of person. Um, but, but this, this section here is, is really makes you like him as a character in, in a real quick, subtle moment, I think. Despite his bad uh, dentures or dental work, but yeah. No. Oh. <laughs> uh, the very first time I saw the film and that scene came up, I thought they were going to 
go with like a, he's going to have a heart attack or something. Cause it, it almost looked like the way he, he goes for his cigarettes, right? It's like, he's almost grabbing for his yeah. chest. And, um, and then, you know, in subsequent watchings, I, I, or viewings, I thought that maybe he's worried because he knows that the other manager is around and he knows that that's going to be something they're oh, going to have to yeah. face at the end of the show. But I also mm-hmm. kind of like, I also kind of like where you're going with that, where it's, just kind of him giving it his all and then the, the amount of time it takes and energy it takes to kind of wrangle the band and make sure everything's going. Cause he is a little bit in over his head. And that also feeds into the idea of why that other manager's there from the label. Like it gives credence to that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That would be interesting to, to, to know if the character Dick knew, you know, where they were really, um, in that in that subplot at this point that would be interesting what did dick know and when did he know it exactly (laughs) that might be the title of your episode there eric (laughs) (laughs) appreciate um yeah and 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 my own personal kind of you know it's done all it's all done in this profile but then but then on the more personal uh nature of of what he's doing you know, while I certainly have never had the <laughs> the attitude that he has, I mean, I've kind of done something similar to this, and I, I, I it's actually more from uh, running a soundboard uh, point of view um, for for events and things for different things, uh, really, really, pretty much just church related. <laughs> um, but um, you know, I've I've kind of I've kind of been there, like behind, not not on the stage, but you know, having to say something into a microphone, and but then also do some other things but then also having the moment where yeah okay that that part is done and now i'm not gonna i don't smoke a cigarette i don't smoke cigarettes but i will uh you know relax for a moment (laughs) or for quite a few minutes maybe even or more uh because i know that uh someone other people have pretty much you know the, the brunt of the work to do for a good good period of time yeah i mean the 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 band's gotta gotta get themselves amped up to to do the performance yeah. but everyone else around it all of their anxiety builds to the yeah. to the second the show starts and then once it's going it's like okay hopefully it all <laughs> goes smooth from here not that the you know not that like the soundboard guys and the monitor guys aren't constantly working during during the show too but like you know it, it, theoretically that's what you've done all your preparation work for oh, so. yeah. and some really beautiful lighting too like the work that john told does in this whole sequence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say, it's not flat lighting, but it's, it's just a very different tone. It's that weird sort of greenish hue to the, to the stage where you've got the, the backlighting and the, the darkness and the. Yeah. The, the, the well-lit darkness of a rock and roll stage, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. and just the way that uh, Dick is kind of lit there too. Like I, I think it really, it plays to the moment for the character as well because it has a sharpness to it and it, you know, it has the, it has the glamor of the, the backstage <laughs> yeah. and, and the, the, you know, night of the concert, whatever, but it's, a, he's also kind of like sweaty and pallid. <laughs> yeah. That, that whole section of the, you know, from the huddle through Dick's announcement certainly looks like it could have been lit with a living room lamp. You know, it, it's got very, very um you know harsh shadows going on but it's uh i think it is 
you know, effective and and uh, evocative of that backstage area. It's not, you know, it's not a haphazard thing at all, for sure. So one of my favorite things that Cameron does, uh, any anytime he does any kind of like backstage stuff, whether it's his documentaries or, you know, narrative film or roadies uh, watching his television series, like just the way he handles the world of backstage. Um, it's romanticized, but it's also there's a balance there. It's not quite like this is, you know, the best thing ever. It's, it's just, I mean, for him, it is kind of the best thing ever, but it's, um, how do I put this? He kind of plays it very real. It's grounded, but it also has this romanticism to it. Sure. Right. Like it's a sort of an off limits place where the magic of art and music happens, but it's also, just a like a back room where they store boxes you know like it it is all of those things yeah and there's people back there who are like working and doing technical things yeah and you know loading garbage and moving you know whatever has to be moved but it's all in support of the art it's this this whole infrastructure these worker bees that make it all happen and um crow clearly clearly has a love for for the whole back end of the show. And uh, yeah, that's, that's just the vibe that I, <laughs> oh, yeah. I haven't seen this film for uh, for a while. I've seen roadies er, sooner. More, more recently. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't seen roadies, but I, I, I do. I know a little bit about it. I, I should, I should check that out. It goes some interesting places and it's, it's, it's very Cameron Crowe, but I'm not sure he quite got what he wanted out of it. Yeah, I've I've heard it's not not his best work. So, but yeah, I mean, I wonder if. Uh, I mean, obviously, if you're a director of movies, you're you're well versed in the, in the back end of things, right? Like the working, uh, yeah. back end of of films as well. And you know, he'd been this music journalist. He's been this director. He's been a music director right like we, he's done several con- or at least a couple concert movies and he did the, the, did these music based movies and um and that show so i mean it, it's i think maybe he just loves everything behind the scenes and maybe he's not really into music he's he's into roadies maybe that's his thing probably not but maybe <laughs> usually when you have a rock and roll story like so much of the magic is about what's on stage and the story is about the music and the, and for Cameron, I mean, that's there, but there's a disproportionate amount of actual like concert footage compared to, you know, what we're talking about with the backstage stuff in the, in the green rooms and the bathrooms and the hotel rooms and the mm-hmm. hallways and wherever. Yeah. That, yeah, that is one thing that they, that, that, that really isn't, highlighted as much as it could have been it might have been and with another director maybe i mean you know even 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 though cameron is as much of a music fan as he is you know he he didn't place a lot of time on these concert uh scenes on the actual music i'm pretty sure he thought i i would be shocked if he didn't shoot like full performances yeah but the fact that he has the option of editing it down and, and putting as much as he did in yeah, well, and I have been covering deleted scenes that show up in the um, untitled bootleg cut. You know, that is, I mean, it's not, it's not 
an actual bootleg, but that's part of its title, I think, and at least in some in some labeling or what have you. Um, but you know, it's it's it, it was gettable at least by me, <laughs> thankfully. But then it's also, I mean, I've been using this one website with with, with this one website noted uh, for differences. I mean, we have very small small things at least during this minute or maybe even next you know you know extended version the audience cheers and the band takes a bow thereupon you know the, the guy that did this <laughs> writes but you know it's it's, it's very, very minimal seconds worth of, of a little bit of extra footage around um but uh if if there were longer i mean the, they certainly have the longer songs that are are available and and uh you know it's his, at his uh uncool website i forget, I forget what, exactly what the urls but, I think um, it's uncool. Yeah. Yeah. Or just cameracrow.com or something. Yeah. So I'm guessing do do either of you it sounds like neither of you have the original untitled bootleg DVD that came out. Well no, I, had, I, like, I do have it. I just I, I and I've given it a, oh, probably like two or three watches, one one time with the commentary even. That's but did sure. you get the Stillwater C D? No. Okay. Yeah, I don't but I do have the songs. I, I, I have been able to get my hands on the songs. <laughs> um, so it came out, it came packaged with the CD with like a Stillwater sleeve. Really? Hmm. And it's uh, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I, I have the that version, but I think I got it at a secondhand store, and I don't remember having the Stillwater CD. So now I feel now I feel left out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, but, um, but nonetheless, I mean, we're getting right into it. Uh, so the song that starts pl- that they they start playing this is called "Love Comes and Goes," and it's this "Oh Father, Father" is how uh, Jason Lee's character Jeff starts singing, and he's and he's playing a piano. We all, we've also seen him uh, playing acoustic guitar, you know, uh, back in a hotel room in the very first uh, time we hear any anything from. Oh, wait, no, that's after their their that initial concert by sabbath but um but yeah i mean you know seeing him uh sitting at the keyboard and and uh you know lightly playing something probably kind of probably easy to play you know and 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 just you know what like i said what he did in the hotel room strumming pretty easy strumming uh guitar um you You guys have probably talked he seems well-rounded but he's not you know really a master you know jack you know jack of all trades but master of none but you know as as like i mentioned before there, it's this other person singing for him um uh, uh gary frederickson i believe if i remember right i know i brought him up way way long time ago um but uh you know i mean that that definitely has his is his strong point You, you guys have probably talked about this in previous episodes, but uh, Jason Lee actually is something of a musician. He does yeah. actually play. And, and uh, like Crow has said that I, th- I think, I don't know if it's just in the uh, untitled or if it's in the theatrical cut where uh, William is walking with the laundry and he looks into the door and Jeff oh, yeah. is sitting there mm-hmm. strumming the guitar, recording a demo or, you know, just. Yeah, that was, that was an extra deleted scene I talked about. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And he's, he said that he was happy to have that scene in there because uh, Jason is a musician and, and being able to kind of have him doing his thing. So 
actually, how many of Stillwater are musicians? I know that the the Red House Painters guy, right? Yeah, is Larry, the Larry Fellows or, or uh, Mark uh, Romanek, or am I thinking of someone else? I feel like Mark I get him confused. Is a director? Else. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, Mark Kozlek, and then uh, Ed, Ed is John Fedovich. You know, so I mean, they are real musicians. It's, it's, it's essentially it's half and half, but there's certainly you know, uh, like like you say, Jason Lee with some some uh, music ability, so a bit more a bit more uh, in the uh, actual musicianship. Uh, it leans leans more that way versus exactly fifty fifty. Do you guys get the feeling whenever they spotlight Jeff, because so much of the film revolves around. Russell and the legend of Russell and how there's that disproportionate amount of attention in the band with Russell compared to Jeff that anytime he's on stage or actually performing and you know the camera is showing him and kind of lingering on him do you ever get a sense of not just desserts but like it's there's more meaning to it in a way like it's not just hey we're showing a performance by the band and he happens to be the lead singer but they're focusing a little bit more on Jeff and they're sh- like spotlighting Jeff's ability and, and what he contributes to the band. Hmm. Or is that just me? <laughs> I think there's, I mean, there's definitely some of that in, in the end of this minute. I mean, that's, this is Jeff's great moody setup, right? This is sort of his, uh, his beauty shot, right? He's all on his own, well lit, given his, his solo performance, at least until the rest of the band kicks in. Um, you know, the way that it, it's kind of set up, it, you could almost argue that the view we're getting of Jeff is, is Russell's view, right? It's from certainly the camera is coming from Russell's side of the stage. And then at the, at the very end of it, you kind of cut to Russell looking over his shoulder in that direction. Um, so yeah, I mean, this, this could be sort of, um, a little bit of, wistfulness a little bit of um i don't know maybe some sort of genuine feeling that that russell has for jeff and the rest of his his bandmates that comes out when they do this thing right this thing that they are good at this thing that they are that they have been doing together for you know who knows how long that they that they have some shared history history and passion for yeah and there's there's two things here you know one more more specifically what you're what you're exactly talking about is you know with the shot on the stage and there's this you know there's another figure there to to our to the right of him to his left um you know so that's probably i guess that's got to be larry on bass with the bass guitar um you know and like you're saying that this is more it, the camera is more closer to uh russell's viewpoint but um but then also something that's said in the next, you know, like what, two, maybe three minutes from now is, you know, Jeff mentioning his previous whatever kind of came out of it to, to, that, that may, you know, formed the basis of Stillwater, where he says, you know, the Jeff BB band. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So there's so there's there's so there's this other band supposedly before this where he was maybe more more even more so the the main guy for it and uh the lead the leader for it and and it, it's really the, the i really do think there is kind of this struggle and that certainly was like i like i mentioned before the t-shirt scene um 
with this issue of who is the real leader, who who is the one that's going to be forefront, you know, front and center, you know, and, and it seems like Jeff kind of wants that, but also at the same time doesn't, you know, it's, it's, it's that kind of issue that I think a lot of people struggle with. They, they want to be recognized more, but I actually have to do some of the work <laughs> to get, to get that. Yeah. I, I've always wondered if like given unfettered access to it, if Jeff would take all the attention, like if he would be that person, I, yeah. I think I always felt he was reluctant because he senses Russell's mm, outgrowing of the rest mm-hmm, of the band. Right. And, and he knows, you know, that uh, he knows that I, I don't know how much of the like actual songwriting is supposedly credited to him, but like that Russell's the, the real talent of the band and, you know, he's trying to keep him happy. And so they made this agreement that he would be the, the quiet, mysterious guitar player or whatever. And, and, uh, and Jeff would be the front man. So that they have these clearly defined roles, but yeah, that's, um, it, this, yeah. Yeah. Huh? Well, do we want to talk, talk about almost the last shot, which is over to the side. I mean, you kind of made a little bit of reference to it earlier with the lighting <laughs> talk about it. Uh, you know, over on the side of the stage is is are the band aids the three three of them out of the I think five kind of total we have really good names on the the two that are missing are uh, Sapphire and Estrella or Estrella, <laughs> um, but so so that's Beth from Denver and uh, Polexia and Penny Lane here, but and Williams stand there too and he's being very <laughs> very non concert goy. <laughs> He's got his hands folded in front of him, you know, uh, and you got a sound guy and you got like what, like at least three, maybe even four other guys that are, you know, essentially roadies possibly. And, or maybe, maybe another fan, another guy fan there too. Much like, uh, Vic Munoz is, uh, the huge, uh, guy Led Zeppelin fan that loves to follow them around or not, not necessarily follow them around, but. I, I take a little offense to your, uh, oh. Oh. your your classification that Williams being non concerty because as a you know as a former teen who was too cool for everything, yeah. <laughs> like this is how I behaved at concerts even when I really loved the bands. You know, I would I would stand there and and you know more often than not fold my arms in in front of me and and not move very much even though I was like bursting inside with with uh, <laughs> you know some sort of energy or, or really. Um, appreciation for for the band that I was seeing, so I'll, I'll, I'm I'm going to say that he's really enjoying himself. He's just a an uptight white kid. So yeah, I think he's also being a bit of the journalist because he's mm. he's kind of looking yeah. around. He's observing. I mean, he's got that same observer face that he has through so much of the movie, and he's taking this notes is, with his eyes. This is theoretically the last show he's supposed to be with them at, yeah. right? Yeah, right. So. It seems like every, probably, every show could be the last one he's supposed to be true. at this point. That's it's, true. That's what I was saying a couple of minutes ago. It's like, it's like it keeps getting extended and extended when he's on the phone with his mom. And he's probably seen, you know, a number of shows and, and he, he knows yeah. the set list and he's he, he believes he's going to be interviewing them afterwards. And he's going to get that, you know, Russell Hammond conversation that he's been trying to get. And he might be just looking around trying to catalog sort of what's going on and, and catch, you know, the signature moments that he wants to talk about. And 
Yeah, I don't get the I don't get the idea that he's bored or nonplussed. I I think he's engaged. I just think he's engaged on a different level. Yeah, not to be contrarian. <laughs> <laughs> and and it it sort of um, because the other two band aids, um, it's Polexi and Beth, right? Is that what we said? Um, yeah. they're they're both super into it, right? Like eyes closed, bopping around, like really feeling the groove. Um, but then, you know, William and, and Penny both have these sort of different expressions, right? It, it sets them out as the, the people we need to pay attention to. Right. And what's Penny, I, I don't know. I, I think Penny's expression is, is very much proud mother. I don't know what you guys think of, of what she's, she, or, or, or muse. I mean, oh, she's sure, moving yeah, her right. hand almost in a <laughs> somewhat musical way. Yeah. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. Or, or maybe it's, maybe it's a sexual way. There, there's something yeah. they're doing. <laughs> doing uh in the hotel room previously that uh, involved a movement like that <laughs> i think i'd agree with that interpretation that you know everybody else is kind of there just doing the concert but william and penny they're operating on sort of their own levels they've got their own objectives and take their own meaning and yeah it all means something different to them They've got different investments in it other than just yeah exactly I'm, I'm not here being hedonistic and having a good time i'm i'm doing a thing right he also just watched his mom freak out on russell true, <laughs> true. well she does mean well but still it doesn't she mean does. that doesn't mean it won't weird you out um and then you know it gets to that very last two seconds of of back to russell you know looking looking back at them you know he's he's seeing that that view it's obviously that's that's what he sees and i mean it's penny looking pretty pretty darn close straight at the camera and i you know i think that's like i said it's it's some some something she's trying to communicate to him <laughs> yeah I, I get the feeling that they're way back by the by the booth right like I mean, it's, I couldn't quite tell if it was backstage because I mean, it, well, I said, they're sort of getting that blue light lighting from the stage, yeah. but really that would, if it was bright enough, that would sort of fill the whole room because it's probably the only light on. So I, it's kind of hard to tell where they are, but I, I was, for some reason I was thinking they were back by the booth. So I don't know if they'd be too far back to have any of that sort of nonverbal communication with the band, if they were just feeling it or if they're, but if they are on the side of the stage, they're definitely you know, in, in, uh, in close visual communication with them. So I got the vibe that they were on the floor. Yeah. 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 It could, could go either way. I mean, there's definitely would be roadies with headphones and, and equipment in either of those places. So yeah, I don't know. Well, um, is there anything else, any other notes that we need to hit from you guys? I think, um, <laughs> I think uh, just talking, you know, just sort of reiterating how how uh, how Penny looked in in her shot there. She's definitely she's definitely mm, impressed. I think is, is almost mm -hmm. how I, I would describe her looking with the band. Like like yeah, they're really this is really going to be something. And I you know we we'll see a little bit of that in the next minute. I think some of that uh, enthusiasm for for this performance carries over. But yeah. I can't remember if it comes before this minute or it comes after this minute because I was kind of buzzing back and forth in the film before I sat down to record. Oh, yeah. But there is that moment where Penny says to Will that 
Russell's her last great project. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm not sure where that placed in the narrative in context with this scene, but now that that's kind of in my head, that is what I'm thinking when I'm watching her standing there and smiling with that big smile. Like it's not, it's not just about the music. It's about, I guess it's her art, right? Yeah. 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 Again, that goes, I think back to the thing that the, the one word that I've kind of, you know, come back to again, again, the most is muse that, uh, you know, when, uh, someone usually for some reason, usually a woman is amused to a man creating some kind of art. It's actually, the art is actually amazingly somehow is supposed to be coming from them. The woman, yeah. uh, that is the muse. But I, I think that, way. I think that conversation about him being her last does happen before this. I think that's on the bus on the way to Topeka. Maybe? Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that's kind of interesting though. If, because she knows like she can't go to New York, right? Like she knows she can't go all that way. She knows what's in New York. Right. Um, and so as the band moves further East and to somebody from San Diego, um, Cleveland is probably feels pretty far East. Right. Um, so she, she knows she's getting about as far as she can go. Right. Like, I don't know how many more stops they have before they, before they get there. I I don't remember if they really talk about any more shows before that in, uh, in the in the narrative of it but i mean if you're a, a touring band of this size there you know unless you're gonna do like nashville knoxville memphis kind of stuff before you do new york you're 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 getting real close so mm-hmm. so yeah this might be the her feeling like i've done good i'm i'm wrapping up my time here i'm i've yeah. I've, I've mused my muse <laughs> so and they're clearly kicking ass on stage yeah. so yeah right Good job, Penny. <laughs> um, well, uh, I think we're winding down, so uh, I need to ask Mike. Uh, I'd like like you to uh, rank. Uh, it's just a, your personal what you what you feel. You know, it doesn't have to be anything greater than that. Uh, uh, the four bands that are most commonly believed to make up the band Stillwater. Um, so, and you can you can let us know too uh, uh, before you start uh, ranking them. Which which way you're going to go, favorite to least, or vice versa. Um, so Almond Brothers Band, Eagles, Led Zeppelin, and Leonard Skinnerd. Do you want me to go top to bottom or bottom yeah, to top? I mean, either way you want to go. You'll just let us know. <laughs> number one is or number four is? <laughs> I think I might. I'm honestly not all that familiar with the Almond Brothers Band. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've been hearing that more and more. <laughs> it's a shame. I think. <laughs> But I mean, I'm not a great expert of them or huge fan, but yeah. So I'm kind of tempted to put them at the bottom just because I'm less familiar with them. But I'm also, I'm not a huge Leonard Skinner fan either. So it's kind of a toss up for me. I'm going to, I'm going to put Leonard Skinner at the bottom. Just above them, I'll go Almond Brothers. And just above them, I'll go Eagles. And I'll put Zeppelin on the top which uh, is surprising to me because I've, I've actually never been a big Zeppelin fan. There's a song here or there that I enjoy, but I recently, every time I revisit the film, it might get loud and I watch Jimmy page talking about music. uh, It sends me on a bit of a Zeppelin dive. And 
every time I take a dive, I go a little bit deeper. And I just watched it again a few weeks ago. So Zeppelin's pretty fresh and, uh, and there's more Zeppelin on my playlist right now than there ever has been in my entire life. So, yeah. and, uh, and I prefer them over the Eagles. So yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Those were, so that's, those are exactly my same rankings, but I had much stronger opinions about why everyone was in those spots. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting to hear you sort of like, I, you know, I dislike this one less than, you know, so it's, yeah, interesting. <laughs> Leonard Skinner played kind of a big role in roadies. And mm. I don't know, something about that left an odd taste in my mouth too. So that might be why I'm putting them at the bottom. It's, it's a pretty superficial reason. I think the only real objective ratings I, I can, I can, qualify are the the zeppelin and the eagles because like i said i'm not that familiar with with the uh the two on the bottom for me but awesome i recognize their place in in rock history (laughs) that's not saying that they they have no talent or they're useless or whatever that's just saying you're being very uh rock and roll hall of (laughs) fame-ish i like to before i before i slam something or before i like put it you know at the very bottom i i kind of want to be able to to do so critically to do so with you know yeah. a little bit of uh experience and um had i thought of it i would have probably done a little bit of uh searching on spotify and listened to yeah. some stuff yeah. <laughs> it's been a busy I, week guys it's yeah. been a busy week oh, no, that's, right. that's all right it's all right it's yeah it's something i uh, i uh, spring on my guests you know um and uh i appreciate you you giving me what you have and and uh maybe that's something i come back and kind of uh re- recontact everyone and say hey uh since <laughs> since you recorded have you changed your mind on any of the on that on, on those rankings <laughs> yeah eric you need to put together a playlist with your top three songs from all four bands yeah. of all your past guests listen to it and then based on that re-rank I am curious now to go check out the the Allman Brothers band. Yeah, my my ranking of them had nothing to do with their music. Like I I sort of guiltily pleasure like their music, but there's there's just something about the personalities that that rubbed me the wrong way. So I, they were down there for me. <laughs> um, well, Mike, uh, can you also now uh, you, you go ahead and uh, give us some. Uh... Uh, plug, plugs of your shows, whatever other projects or anything that you have going on. Sure. Uh, well, as I mentioned at the top of the show, um, I've got two podcasts. One is called Foyer Consideration, where uh, my co-host Dustin Friesenhan and myself, we go through films that are generally considered the greatest films of all time and give them a rewatch and decide if we think they are uh, true masterpieces of cinema or whether they're uh, Museum pieces, basically classic films, films that deserve study or recognition or whatever, but not necessarily, you know, the upper echelon. And uh, my other podcast is called a podcast named Scooby-Doo, where uh, I like to say I'm unraveling the history of mystery, basically creating an oral history of the Scooby-Doo franchise, which is now in its 51st year. And uh, very little academic or archival work has been done in, uh, in regards to this, like, invincible ip (laughs) which 
has outlasted so many other things. So it sounds fascinating because there is a lot of weird, just weird random stuff that goes on in, in this, in that Scooby-Doo franchise. So yeah, you consider yourself, uh, having gained a new listener tonight. <laughs> Two. Yeah. I definitely got there's so many people that have worked on those shows that just go completely kind of unsung. You hear about the voice actors, but, and unfortunately we just lost the last surviving uh, person who was like in the room at the creation of the show. And uh, wow. Joe Ruby and Ken Spears, they both just died. The, the two writers hmm. within like months of each other. 2020, man. That's weird. Yeah. yeah um, so yeah, we're definitely going <laughs> to, Dave and I are going to be checking that latter one out for sure. And, <laughs> even that former one that uh, like 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 you were saying uh definitely give you know giving some uh time giving giving uh, something that's due before you <laughs> before you go in and start criticizing and and uh critiquing what have you um and so dave can you you, you you're, you're certainly free to give some plugs yourself yeah before we wrap up i uh i too am uh well, <clears throat> I will one day be a uh, Movies by Minute podcast host. Um, I, I, I'm still still working on it, Eric, um, on both uh, Rock and Roll High School Minute and Edge of Tomorrow Minute, which cover the movies Rock and Roll High School and Edge of Tomorrow in this uh, weirdo Movies by Minute format. Um, because I'm terrible at not having any accountability um, and not getting things done if I don't tell people I'm going to get something done, um, I'm going to commit here. This is a scoop on your podcast, Eric. Yeah. I'm going to release some episodes of Edge of Tomorrow Minute in 2020. Wow. Cool. Yeah, big deal. But yeah. I, if, I was about ready to put you to the test and say, by the time <laughs> I've wrapped this up at the end of next year, oh, yeah, is where right. I'm, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be at this point, November-ish or so of next year. Yeah, yeah. We, we got some in the can. And then um, my uh, my co-host is my cousin, and he's a, a writer, and, and we're... Hmm you know pull back the curtain a little bit we're recording this in november and uh it's the national novel writing month for him so he's you know currently writing you know something like two thousand words a minute uh, a, a day almost so um every day for november so we're we're not we're not working on that right now but um we should have enough to start putting them out hopefully in december and then you know go as long as we can without taking a hiatus hopefully so uh, but i'm i'm slow i'm 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 uh best best laid plans right so oh yeah well i really appreciate both of you guys coming on um i guess i need to real quick uh make sure i plug put in a plug for uh the network i'm on uh, for this show and uh feels like weezer are both on uh pantheon podcast network and you can find that at pantheonpodcast.com uh, there's got there's got to be like 55 <laughs> different shows there as of this past week or so um, different uh, podcasts about rock and roll and, and music in general sometimes. Um, and uh, just to give a big old shout out to the uh, the starters of the Movies by Minute genre, the Star Wars Minute guys, Pete and Alex, a couple of great guys. And, and they even apparently uh, at some point recently on a uh, on a weekend edition of their show uh, did a little uh, of my of my initial, my first uh, podcast, Watch My Minute, gave a little shout out of some sort uh, on there, my co-host, my old co-host, uh, alerted me too. Nice. So I appreciate that from them. Um, but otherwise, uh, I think we'll just wrap this up and uh, uh, talk about uh, seeing you next time for Minute 75 uh, next week. Uh, this has been Minute 74. 
again, thanks so much, uh, Dave and Mike. Until then, it's all happening. Your mom kind of freaks me out. Oh, wait, no, sorry. It's all <laughs> happening. It's all happening. <laughs> she means well. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I am a golden god! Yeah! Yeah! And I was born in the backseat of a Greyhound bus Rolling down Highway 41 You know the queen of hearts is always your best bet It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.